So, hello for those of you who don't know me. Um, I'm Mark. Um, I've been part of this church for, I realise, 19 years, which is amazing. Um, and people often say, what's kept you at Revs for 19 years? And I think it is just, just family, just amazing people. I'm privileged to be part of the best Oikos group. Um, and it is actually entitled on our WhatsApp group, the best Oikos group. So that cannot be debated. Um, and... And it, is, and it just is like people, Phil and Rachel and Sue and, and other people in my group who have just kind of cheered us along as a family, got us through some really difficult times. This, this church has got us through really difficult times. You know, so what do you need to know about me? Um, the, the title that I hold most precious is son, uh, son of God. You know, the journey of understanding that, who it is, son of John and Kim Oliver at the back. Just like to honour my parents, especially my mum on this Mother's Day. Um, people say, how are you, you know, we've been through a lot as a family, how are you so resilient? And I would definitely say it's my mum. The genes, the, the kind of encouragement she's given me, the, the way she's lived her life. So thank you, mum. Um, dad, dad to Bibi and Sophie. Um, 10 going on 17 and, uh, <laughs> and 7 going on 14. So that's always a lot of fun. But another title I have to hold um, is Widower where uh, Anna, uh, my wife, the, the best mum I ever saw, um, yeah, became sick again in summer 2020 and tragically died on the 1st of November 2021. And we've been on that journey of grief ever since. So today, doing this on Mother's Day is a bit of a sweet day for us. But I'm here and I'm standing and I'm following Jesus because of this community and because of the love that God's given me. So it's really exciting to be able to speak. Um, it's the first time I've spoken at Revs since Anna became sick. Um, I kind of took a step back to look after the kids. So it's really exciting. And I realised the last talk I can remember giving was at a conference called Spring Harvest, where I was working with the young people. And, um, and I was talking about how we hear from God. And so here we are this morning, how we hear from God. So if we can have the, uh, the PowerPoint up. Look at that, prayer, part two. So it's following on from the wonderful Andy's talk last week about prayer. And, and I, I would just like to start by just saying how grateful I am to have Andy in our church. Um, I think there's a lot that's happening and happened because Andy took the risk of coming over here and, and it's a privilege to serve alongside you and be led by you. So thank you, mate. And thank you for what you brought last week. This is the magic. Will it work? Yeah. No, it won't. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to have like a very definitive nod. <laughs> if we can have the first slide, please. So Andy kind of brought this verse to us last week as part of how we understand prayer. And this is from 1 Thessalonians, and this is from the message version. All the verses we're going to look at today that I'm going to bring are from the message version. It's a translation I absolutely love. Uh, it brings the, the Bible to life in a new way. Um, it's something that you might not have experienced before. So if, it, if you think, oh, that sounds quite familiar, but it's a bit different, it's because it's the message version. And it says, be cheerful no matter what, pray all the time, thank God no matter what happens, this is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus, to live. And it's this whole verse of, of, of pray constantly, is how other translations do it. And what I love is I love taking familiar verses like this and go, but what comes next? So if I can have the next slide, please. So, and the next slide. <laughs> next slide. This is where it goes to next. Don't suppress the spirit and don't stifle those who have a word from the master. But on the other hand, don't be gullible. Check out everything and keep only what's good and throw out anything tainted with evil. 
And what I want to look at today is, is this idea of how can we suppress the spirit, how do we stifle, and how do we avoid being gullible? And, and, and look at these three key areas, because I think, you know, when we're looking at something as big as how we hear from God, I mean, me and Carla were talking about this the other day, we probably could have done a six-month series on it in terms of the different ways. But for me, coming back to this verse, it is about this, how do we, how do we stifle, how do we suppress, and how do we therefore try and change that and not be gullible? So next slide, we might have to click a few times, and again, <laughs> and again, <laughs> and again. There we go. Tozer, a really famous theologian, says this. If you complete this question, this will tell you all you need to know about your theology. And I think if you complete this question, this will tell you all you need to know about how you hear from God. So just take a moment to reflect on that. Complete that sentence in your own mind. God is. What's the words that come to mind? Because how you believe God is, is how you believe he will speak to you. In the tone of voice. Whether he wants to speak to you. Whether he wants to engage with you. Yeah, I've done this exercise with quite a few people over the years in different settings. And for me, you know, the, the phrase I keep coming back to is God is redemptive. And so, therefore, I can hear his voice speaking into the redemptive nature of, of what I need. But if you think you know, God is angry, then you're only ever going to be able to hear him if you think he's angry with you, if the tone is angry, if the words are angry. And so for some of us, the first thing we might have to think about in terms of how we suppress God is that we've suppressed him into this box of understanding that I believe God is and therefore that is how he's going to speak to me. And one of the things I want us to invite ourselves to do today as individuals and as a family and as a community is actually start to challenge each other and go, Maybe the way you're viewing God is actually affecting how you're hearing him speak. If you feel that at times you might have said God is distant. God is cruel. God is a big kid with a magnifying glass messing with our entire system. <laughs> that, that whole understanding of how we view God is going to influence how we start that very process of how we're going to hear him. If we believe that, that God is is sacred, which he is, but then we apply that to that there's certain areas of life that are sacred and certain areas of life that aren't, then we're only going to hear him in those sacred areas, not in the whatever the opposite is of sacred. The word I don't like to say. Phil doesn't like the word season. I don't like the word secular. <laughs> so we're in a season of moving away from secularism, which is good. But it is that beautiful thing. For me, my life has been about... I was thinking about, again, the journey with, with Revelation. Um, myself and, and James, who's one of my closest friends, you know, we spent multiple seasons in Ibiza because it's 24-7 prayer. We said, OK, where do most people think God isn't? That's where we need to be. Breaking down those divides, hearing God's voice, turning things on its head. Next slide, please. That was going to be my moment for us to all take a moment to think about it. So let's just take a moment to think. <laughs> but it is true. Just take a moment. What, where do you, in your own life, or in other people's lives around you, do you see people's misunderstanding of who God is in their lives and how he works impacting their ability to hear his voice, to hear his call, to see the goodness of what he's doing, to wrestle with him, 
for me, one of the biggest things I've realized is God is able to take my anger. There have been times where I have been enraged with him about Anna's illness, about her time spent in hospital, and about her death, and the impact on my children, and the impact on our community. And I've gone to him in that rage and not held back. And God is able to take my anger. And God is able to meet me in that anger. Next slide, please. One of the other things that can stifle us is about when we try to act or be in a place that we're not actually. So I had this weird experience a few years ago where my sat-nav, I turned it on, and I'd recently been in Southampton and turned it off, and I turned it on in Chichester, but for a while it was convinced I was still in Southampton. So it was like, turn right, and I was like, but there is no right, and I was, and I was trying to understand it and, it, and I just felt like God speak to me and said, that is where you're at right now. You're trying to convince yourself that you're still in Southampton, but I've put you in Chichester. And it was unpacked me through this next section of the Bible. And this comes from the end of John. It's a bit of a confusing bit of the Bible, but we're going to unpack it together. And it gives the verse before this, uh, John 21, verse 14, is my favorite verse in the entire Bible because Jesus makes people breakfast. <laughs> and the amazing thing is, he makes people's breakfast who have really upset him. <laughs> love it. So after breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, master, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Then he said, second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, master, you know I love you. Jesus said to shepherd my sheep. Then he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was upset that he asked for a third time, do you love me? So he answered, Master, you know everything there is to know. You've got to know I love you. What a weird conversation that is. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I'm really annoyed that you keep asking me whether I love you or not. Weird. But the whole thing is, is this is a classic example of where our language and how we've translated the Bible lets us down because there are at least four, possibly seven, words in the Greek language for love. Next slide. So you have eros, where we get erotic from, romantic, passionate love of the body, philia, affectionate, more family-friendly, brotherly love, storge or storge, unconditional familial love, agape, selfless, universal love that is life-changing, uh, ludus, which is playful, flirtatious love, pragma, committed, long-lasting love, and felucia, self-love. And then where we get the idea of hating ourselves. But the two words that are used for love in this interaction are filio and agape. So let's look at this again, but we'll substitute in the agape and the filio as we read it. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than these? Do you love me with this all-consuming, passionate, fiery love? And the reason he's doing that is because throughout this journey that Peter has had in following Jesus is that Peter always liked to big himself up. We've all got those friends, we've all got those colleagues that like to say how amazing they are, and Peter was one of these. So there's these moments where Jesus says, you know, who are you? And Peter's like, oh, he's the first person to realize you're the son of God. And he's like, brilliant. And then he says, and do you know what? I'll never let you down. I'm never going to get it wrong. I'm never going to step away from you. And Peter, Jesus is like, you're not quite getting it, Peter. And then again, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the soldiers come. Peter steps up, fights the elite soldiers of the day. He's there in a battle. He's there in a fight. But then later on, he's asked by an old woman, do you know Jesus? And he's like, nope, nope. And so what Jesus is getting at here is, so do you love me with this all-consuming, passionate, fiery love that you claimed? And Peter replies, yes, master, you know that I 
filio you. He asked for a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? So, sure, all-consuming, passionate, fiery love. You know this one you kept talking about, kept referencing, kept claiming that you were doing it? And Peter's going, yeah, no, do you know what? I love you like a brother. And if we go to the next slide, on the third time, Jesus says, do you filio me? And Simon gets annoyed because he's like, yeah, I do. And for some of us, the reason that we might struggle to hear God is because we're trying to act or be or be in a place that we're much further into our relationship than we currently are where we stand. And Jesus isn't interested about where you want to be or where you think you should be. He's interested in where you stand right now because he wants to make you breakfast. And he can't make you breakfast if you're on the wrong beach. But you also can't engage if you think, like, he's there going, I want to love you, I want to support you. You know, if I was sitting there when Anna had first died going, do you know, God, I'm really chilled with this, this is fine. This is fine. And the gods would be like, yeah, it's not, is it? I had to be real with where I was at. If you want to hear from God, if you want to understand his voice, then be real with where you're at. Be honest with each other. Be honest in your prayer. Be honest in where you stand. Here I am. I don't quite love you as much as I'd like to, but I want to. So let's not stifle God by doing that. Next slide, please. I love this. This, this, this encapsulates my life as a single parent who also leads a large mental health team, who also, for some strange reason, is a trustee, a charity, a school governor, and leads all the student ministry here. <laughs> some might say I'm coping with my grief by keeping busy, but that's just a rumour. <laughs> Almost went off the edge of stage. Um, one of the most famous verses, one of the most oft-quoted verses, when people say, oh, yes, I've heard from God for you. I mean, hands up if you've ever had this verse prayed over you or prophesied over you at some point. For uh, I love this way. Is that I've planned it all out. Plans to take care of you, not to abandon you. Plans to give you future hope for... Next slide, please. Or as... <laughs> <laughs> I can do all things for a verse taken out of context. <laughs> which is a little play on, uh, there's a verse that Paul writes where he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me, which has been completely misappropriated. And I think this verse has been misappropriated because to understand Jeremiah 29, 11, you need to understand Jeremiah 29, 1 to 10. So let's have a look at that. So, yeah, we'll start with four. Go back. What I love is the context of where the Israelites found themselves in this point was in slavery. And at the time, loads of other so-called prophets were coming going, don't you worry, God's going to come, he's going to smash this army, we're all going to be fine. We're all going to be fine. But it was, there, it was the Israelites' thought that they'd got into this place. And so Jeremiah comes and says, this is the message from the God of the angel armies, Israel God, to all the exiles I've taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. Everyone's like... What is this message? What do we need to do? There's going to be this really clear X and Y equals Z, and therefore I can do this. And that's what some of us want. We want this clear thing that God says, what I need you to do is go here, and then you're going to do this, and then I'm going to move this onto you, and then this is where you're going to end up. But that's not how he works. This is the message from God. Build houses and make yourself at home. Put in gardens and eat what grows in that country. Marry and have children. Encourage your children to marry and have children so that you'll thrive in that country and not waste away. Hang on. <laughs> so I've got to get married, then I've got to have kids, and then I've got to encourage them to get married. So we're talking quite a long time then, God. Ah, great. <laughs> Make yourselves at home there and work for the country's welfare. Pray for Babylon's well-being. Hold up. 
the group that have just taken us into slavery, that are making us work our asses off, that are refusing to let us do anything, we've got to pray for them. Right, okay. If things go well for Babylon, things will go well for you. Yes, believe it or not, this is the message from God of the angel armies, Israel's God. Then he says, I've got these plans for you. But those plans can only be revealed to you if you understand that God is more interested in your normal every day. You will only ever ultimately understand the plans of God for your life if you're willing to engage in the fact that he wants to meet you in your normal everyday boring lives. And that's not because it's an X. And sometimes people have, I've heard this spoken on almost like it's an X and Y prophesy. So get ready. So find God a normal life and then he'll reveal it. No, the revelation is I'm in your normal life. That's the revelation. The revelation is I'm in your normal life. I get really excited about the way you do washing up. The way you do washing up is amazing. I love the fact that you don't choose to fill the sink up, but you choose to spray it onto the sink. But I love that Phil hates seasons. I love that Phil connects with me through bagpipe music. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's, God is interested in our normal every day. And then when we get, he's in our normal every day, then we see the purposes of God working in our normal every day. Then we understand that it's an amazing journey. Then we can get excited about life and find where he is taking us. That's what we need to do. This is where God is. In how you write an email. In how you do the washing up. But one of the other things that can really help stifle us with God is that for some of us, we are just done. We're exhausted. And uh, Chris Westhoff, who's a really good friend of this church, really clear prophetic voice, she did some excellent teaching when she came to hang out with us a couple of years ago and just said, if you're emotionally done, if you're not looking after your emotional life, if you're not looking after your um, uh, mental health, you're not going to hear from God very well. In fact, I probably wouldn't even try because it's not going to be great. And for some of us, we are just absolutely exhausted and that's where we need to recognise that that's where we are. We're at the end of our experience, we're at the end of our faith, we're at the end of our energy levels and that is okay. And that's where God wants to meet you. And we've got this beautiful bit in 1 Kings. If we go to the next slide. And we often talk about the bit before and we often talk about the bit after. But again, another one of my favourite. Let's find what's out in the middle. So before you got the bit, Elijah does this amazing bit, kind of takes on the prophets of Baal, has soaked this um, sacrifice in water. It's impossible to burn. The fire of heaven comes down, burns it. He's faced them down. It's all been crazy. Miss a bit, miss a bit, miss a bit. Then he's in a cave and he has this prophetic encounter with him. But we miss this bit in the middle, which I think is actually more profound than either of the two bits either side. Elijah came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in its shade, wanting the worst to be done with it all, to just die. Enough of this, God. Take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the gravel. Exhausted, he fell asleep under the lone broom bush. Suddenly, an angel shook him awake and said, get up and eat. He looked around and to his surprise, right by his head were a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. He ate the meal and went back to sleep. The angel of the Lord came back, shook him awake again and said get up and eat some more he got up you got a long journey ahead of you he got up ate and drank his fill and set out for some of you the clear message of God this morning is have a nap eat some food have another nap eat some more food 
then have a little journey and see where God takes you, which is likely going to end up with more naps and more food. In our work with young people who are really struggling with their mental emotional health, when I was a caseworker, I used to ask my young people five key questions. Have you drunk enough water today? Have you eaten enough food? Have you got enough sleep? Have you had fun time with people? Have you had any exercise? If you're missing one of those five, then you're probably not in a great place. So if you really want to hear from God, start with those five. Get some sleep, get your food, and go from there. But the way God wants to speak to us is, if we go back to the slide, it's through who we are. Nope. Nope. Couple forward, 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 forward. forward. <laughs> the one with the brain. When you find the one with the brain. There it is. Who we are is how God wants to speak to us. So, you know, within psychology, there's this idea of the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain and creative. And some people love spreadsheets. Me, God speaks to me through spreadsheets. Weird, I know. Sometimes it speaks to us through art. James did an amazing piece of art for me that hangs over my bed that speaks to me every morning. Sometimes God wants to speak to us through bagpipes. Sometimes God wants to speak to us through an article that we read in the newspaper. Amazingly, God wants to speak to us through the Bible. We need to remember that one. God might want to speak to us through each other. God might want to speak to us through a random encounter on the street. God might want to speak to us through our children. I had that yesterday. One of my children held up a book when we were in Waterstones and said, this is you, Daddy, and it said, I'm too busy. And I was like, whoo. <laughs> God wants to speak to you in the most random ways. I had, I've had weird experiences. I remember years ago, I was working for an organization called DNA. And I was living in London, and we used to have our residentials in Horsham. And I was standing in Horsham Station waiting to pick up some of the trainees. And I felt God really clearly say to me, your future, you're going to be spending a lot of time at this station. That's what he said. And I went, brilliant. That means that I'm going to carry on work for DNA, and I'm going to be picking them up for nothing. My contract came to an end at DNA at the end of the year, and I finished. And I was like, ah. Oh. Oh, that was weird. Didn't get that one very right then, did I? Fast forward 10 years. And my job takes me to Horsham four or five times a week. I'm standing at the station, having a little pray. God goes, do you remember when I said to you, you're going to be at the station a lot? There you go. Sometimes the issue isn't that we don't hear from God. It's that we've heard from God, and then we've added our own bits to it. Sometimes the issue is that we're impatient, and we want to hear from God, and then run with it. And if it hasn't worked within the... For the next six months, then we were like, oh no, I haven't heard from God. Then we doubt that we hear from God, then we stop listening. So sometimes it's not about that we don't hear from God, it's that we heard from God and we've added our own stuff. And that leads us into the gullible bit. Next slide, please. So don't be gullible. I think one of the ways that we can be gullible is that, is to add our own stuff. So how do we not do that? For me, the understanding of prophecy and hearing from God is about how we outwork it and that we've got to have people that we're on this journey with that we outwork what we hear from God with. So for me, a primary source is our Oikos group, is people like Phil, people like Andy, people like James, people like Roger and Maggie, my parents, but people I know that I trust. And the whole thing is, is about I know that they love me and they've got my best interests at heart and I know they hear from God. So I'm going to wrestle out with them whether what I've heard or what someone has said they've heard from me is something I should take seriously. So I've had people prophesy stuff over me that didn't make sense at the time, still doesn't make sense now, so we'll see what happens with that one, you know? 
But I've had other times where I've felt something from God and I'm like, oh, this feels weird. This, feels, this does feel like... And I had a really recent example um, just after Christmas. I'd made a really clear decision that I wasn't going to get involved in any kind of more active stuff with the church for a while until Anna's inquest was concluded, which is due in May. And then um, God started whispering to me about potentially changing my mind on that one. And then Andy gave an epic talk at the beginning of the Haggai series about us taking up our place. And I just felt the Holy Spirit in such a way that was like in a very clear direction of needing to offer support to Andy about the stuff he was facing. So I texted Phil and said, Phil, I'm just feeling this from God. Am I barking up the wrong tree? And Phil just replied, I was feeling that for you the entire morning, but I wanted you to ask me first. Or something along those lines. And I think for me, it's that thing of then, it was about then talking to other people. And, and then I had the bizarre experience, part of my job is I get paid to see a non-managerial supervisor, like a systemic therapist. And I said to her, look, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, I've been asked if I would take on leading the student work at the church. And she's like, usually holds, she's like, I hold a very neutral space and we, we like, like to hear. And she just went, that is great. And she was like, whoa, that provoked a reaction. And so we... Um, so then we wrestled she said no just talk to me about it and at the end she's not a faith you know that's not she said do you know what this just feels absolutely right so I've kind of gone I've got Phil I've got the oil then I've talked to the oil about it and then my own non-managerial therapist again hearing God through someone who wouldn't even confess to following God is an interesting one and a very interesting thing with the students was I, I, I took on the leadership did two weeks of, of doing student alpha and I just felt God say, yeah, this isn't what I want for the students. And I was like, yeah, but this is what we've planned and this is what's going to happen. And God's like, yeah, this is what I want for the students. And I was like, okay. And so then one week I just decided at the last minute, we're just going to knock this on the head and we're going to do something completely different. And so far I've had three students in different ways come up to me and said, that week, if we'd done student alpha again, I had said I was done with church. And you're there just going, that's a bit weird. <laughs> But isn't that amazing how God just speaks to us? The other way to not be gullible is if it doesn't make sense and it doesn't work and it doesn't land right with you, it's okay to ignore it. Because God will continue to speak to you. You know, as a dad, I often have to repeat myself an average of eight to 15 times <laughs> on the most basic of things. How much more will our Heavenly Father do that for us? Next slide, please. I did it, 25 minutes, yes. Um, so how are we going to respond? So one of the things I'd really like us to do is we've got a bunch of students who've asked us for Bibles, so we've invested in buying a bunch of Bibles for them. <laughs> this one's for Isaac. There you go, Isaac. Um, and at the front of them are these amazing two very blank pages. And what I'd like us to do is, in a minute, for some of you, is to have a little pray and write some encouraging things. The name of the person that we're giving the Bible to is on the front. And just if you've got any verse references or any words of encouragement or something that you want to say to them, just write it in there. And the simple rule is, if it's encouraging, edifying, and not controversial, it's probably from God. If it's controversial, probably don't write it, and we'll think about how we can share that later, come and talk to one of us about that. 
So we're going to do that. And then if anybody, a few people had said that they'd like to sponsor the Bibles. So if, um, we've paid for these, but if you'd like to sponsor one of them, the giving thing is over there by the door, and there's an actual button for Bible. So if you click Bible, and they were £35 each, if anybody wants to do it, but these are incredible. So we've got that as a response. The other thing is I'd really like us to pray for those of us that are feeling exhausted and at the end, in whatever way that means. Um, but I don't want to do it in a really exposing way. So we're just going to worship. So if um, we can get Dan and the band back up. But what I'd like us to do is just pray that God just meets with us where we need to be met in terms of hearing his voice, being engaged with, and that we start to really open ourselves up to the fact that God wants to speak to us, that he wants to encourage us, that he wants to tell us how much he loves us. And I want you to open yourself up to the fact that you might have been listening out for the wrong type of voice. And actually the voice of God wants to come to you in love and kindness and gentleness and engage with you. So just before the band start, if we could just spend uh, a minute just in silence and just see what the Holy Spirit wants to do.